So I just got through Thanksgiving like the most of you guys did, and there's always some kind of question that I get that kind of goes on my number one list of funny questions. Uh, somebody looked at me and said, do you dye your beard? <laughs> and I was like, huh. Uh, uh, well, if I did, I would have to undye the gray ones that are in there, and I don't think I have time for that, to be honest with you. But it's kind of funny. I've been growing the No Shave November since September, and it's like my own little chia pet, so this is not normal for me, but uh, I do enjoy kind of the reaction I get from people from me having a goofy beard, and sometimes I wear a suit at work, so uh, it doesn't really fit in. Anyway, um, I'm going to tell you my story today. Chad was very graceful about uh, giving me a chance just to share with you a little bit of how I got here today, and he, as you mentioned, I'm kind of like your grandkid. In some senses, I'm kind of like a great-grandkid, so... Um, Anyway, so as I get going, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about me growing up. I'm going to talk a little bit about how I became a believer and then uh, why church planting. So as I grew up in Michigan, I was a young guy in a home, and uh, we did not have a God-centered home to grow up in. God was known. He was maybe talked about. We would do the, the Easter, Christmas thing, sometimes go to church with my grandma in the summers. So without a God-centered home and a place that we would have something to measure uh, how to treat one another or how to behave or, or grow, uh, there would come to be features in there that would never get worked out, things like a, a lot of you know, verbal attacks or physical abuse, and that kind of stuff would perpetuate from generations before. Uh, that, that would have effects on me growing up as I look back now of how I viewed the world, how I thought I was supposed to interact in it, how I was uh, to try to find a relationship in my life. Uh, as a young guy, I always struggled with a lot of like identity things, you know, and, and fitting in and trying to get it all worked out as I went forward in life. And so I came to believe uh, that certain things in life as I, as I grew up and to be truths that I tried to live by, which were basically made up by people along the way. It had no stake in the sand uh, for solid truth. And so some of those things, as I became a teen, I would run into uh, computers and I would get online and I'd look at pornography and that would be something that would grow deeply in my mind. I would uh, started to really obsess over future relationships and I would, I would call the codependent today. I would be uh, very infatuated with the idea of a relationship, but I had absolutely no idea in those years uh, going forward on how to actually have a healthy interaction uh, in a relationship. Uh, so this continued on, and I would continue to go through life trying to make a lot out of myself, um, trying to succeed a lot as a way to work out some identity issues. And uh, as I got into college and then graduated from college and got into the workforce, now I was kind of free to do whatever I want and make up my own schedule. Uh, what I know now looking back is I, I ruled my world, right? I was King Matt, and I thought I had all the answers, and I thought I had all the the right things. The problem with that was is things kept failing. Uh, I would try to work really hard to have a relationship go well or I would be still steeped in you know alcoholism or things like that that were trying to find my identity out in the bars and I could not make a relationship work. I, all these things that have been undealt with inside of me from my home of origin and from me trying to be my own king would keep coming out in my relationships and they would end or they would have lots and lots of strife and eventually end. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened eventually, but I'm going to start out with telling you that God can transform your greatest sufferings into your greatest treasures. I, I did not believe that growing up. I thought that was a bunch of baloney, uh, but I'm going to tell you my story today about that and, and how God's 
took a full circle in my life to show me a little bit more of that. Uh, as I got out of college, uh, I believed, and there's a lot of reasons why you believe this, if you watch TV or you watch movies, I hope to God you don't watch soap operas because they try to teach you that there's somebody that's going to complete you in this world. Some human being is going to come along and make your life absolutely awesome. And I believed it. I subscribed to that channel and I thought if I could just find the right person in my life, oh man, everything would be fine. So of course, what do you do? You try really hard to find that person. Well, in God's funny grace, he uh, allowed me to date somebody that would explode my world, which is good. I didn't like it at the time. And we would find ourselves fighting to the great extent. And uh, one day, kind of at the apex of all this strife, uh, I would be carrying her through the emergency room doors, uh, not sure if she was going to make it through the night. Uh, she had overdosed on something. And in all those moments, there's no amount of power or strength, go-getterness that I could muster to make anything right in that. Not a thing. And so, after all this happens, you start questioning, what in the heck is this world all about? You know, I see a lot of destruction around me. I cause so much destruction in my life. And uh, me as a non-believer, an engineer, I'm trying to engineer my way through this thing. Uh, reading books, I go to a counselor and I said, hey, so what do I got to do to get fixed? And she's like, read these books. I'm like, cool, I'll see you next week. I'll have all those done. And she's like, it doesn't work that way. I'm like, sure it does. We can force our way through this thing. And after all these things keep crumbling in my life, uh, one day after kind of just giving up on a lot of this stuff and saying, you know, if this, is, if this world doesn't have something driving behind it, it's the worst game I've ever been in and I don't want to play anymore. And I remember going back and running into the girl I was dating at the time, and I said, would you like to go to church? And I was like, I would never say that in a million years. I was a belittler of Christianity, a belittler of church. I thought it was the stupidest thing in the world. It was this awful place, and I have all these reasons why I built up in myself that I could not and ever would have anything to do with Christianity or faith. And she looks at me and says, hey, I went to Starbucks today. Somebody asked me if I knew Jesus, and we sat down and talked. I thought, well, that's a coincidence, right? So we go through this thing, and she sits down, and she starts telling me that this group that got a hold of her, and I'll say it that way, uh, said that the second Jesus had came, and he was a Korean guy, and he died in Korea. His mom's still alive, and you can go visit her, and you, the world's going to end in 2013. It, I can't make that up. <laughs> All right? I, I sat there, and, you know, the engineer in me and the little bit of Christianity that I knew, I was like, that ain't right. <laughs> and she, she goes, and this is the best question that God could have placed in that conversation. He said, she said to me, how do you know? I was like, all right. You know, I'm a stubborn punk. Like, I'm really stubborn. So I was just like, all right, we're going we're gonna to get through this. I'm going to get studied up. I'm going to figure out that's baloney because you're going down a direction that's going to be really bad. And in a case, that's true. So as we, <laughs> this got me going to read about Jesus. This is God's, God's laughing. There's some kind of holy huddle in heaven. They're snickering, and uh, I can just see Jesus. Got you, punk. <laughs> so, so here I go down this path. I'm reading all these books, but I'm afraid. I don't know which book is good. I don't know which author makes any sense. I don't know if there's a, you know, somebody that's way off to the one side, and I don't even know which sides could be there. So I started reading the Bible, and I started reading books like by C.S. Lewis and Tozer and Spurgeon and Tarsi Sproul, and, and man, I like the heady stuff. I got really into 
how God was doing all this. People would turn me on to podcasts when they heard I was starting to read about this uh, with great preachers like Matt Chandler and, and Tim Keller and Andy Stanley and Ravi Zacharias and these guys who were beasts. And I just happened to be, you know, in the mid-2000s when those little iPod things, you know, you could listen to Christianity and nobody knew what you were doing. Um, <laughs> so I kind of became this, this, this listener, this learner. And, and the head knowledge was awesome. I mean, I really connected with that well. And even to a part where somebody in a PhD in information theory was talking about how we're authored. And I thought, really? Well, if I write a book and I put language in there and I hand it to you, I have created some message to send. I have wrote down something that makes sense, hopefully, right? It has syntax. Somebody else has to know that language and they can read it. There's an author, there's a, there's a conversation that goes on and our DNA is actually something is of a story in there that tells our body what to do. And this guy was talking about that and I'm like, huh, so these are all starting to build in me a lot of head knowledge, but then here's kind of when things turn a little bit for me is when I'm listening to these preachers talk about who Jesus is, all of a sudden they're doing something different than wiring up my brain with knowledge. They're it's hurting my heart. It's start, they're starting to talk to me about things inside of the text of who Jesus is, what he's doing, why he's doing it, and it's, it's really messing me up now. And I'm trying to, like, keep this off of me. I, I can't let the emotions come out because all these years I've been building the brick wall around me. I didn't want anybody in, and I sure don't want to cry in front of a single soul. But at home at the podcast, I could sit down on my stairs while I'm remodeling or doing whatever, and I could laugh in one side because some pastors were funny, and I would cry because I'd run into something that hit home. And all this keeps going in me. And I'll share with you one of the, one of the stories that you know, really impacted my life a lot, and one that I couldn't unwind. You know, you kind of want to, you don't want to, I didn't want to be a Christian for some reason, <laughs> but it kept, God kept pushing on me. So I'm going to walk through John 8, 2 through 11. It's called the story about the adulterous woman. You've probably all heard it. If not, this will be a great talk. Um, first of all, I'm loved and accepted by God, but what about others? I struggled with going to church. Um, I started to believe inside of my mind uh, that Jesus was real, and I like didn't know what to do with it, but the idea of going to a church was like a super gigantic barrier to walking in there with all the mess that was in my life and all the, the I kind of walked through all the things that I still carried along. And just because I became a believer didn't mean that all of a sudden everything was super duper fixed. It doesn't work that way. I kind of wish it did, but, and again, in the end, I'll tell you that it's okay, it doesn't. So I get all this stuff, and I was kind of like my little own personal holy huddle, right? I had my, my books and my podcasts, and, you know, I'd start to open up with a few people at work, but just couldn't get to church. And so this is a story of one of the ones when I was walking around with my dog and uh, I'm listening to somebody talk through this and it blew my mind. So uh, John 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 2, uh, Jesus is constantly being harassed by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the ones that are like, I'm awesome, I've got this all figured out, I follow the law, I, you know, I can judge all you guys because, you know, we all have a little bit of Pharisee in us, right? Uh, and then so they, they're trying to kind of out Jesus. Jesus is doing all these things, and he's getting a following. People, you know, they're, they're usually in their minds try to say something bad about somebody to elevate themselves up. 
Anybody else do that? Am I the only one that's ever tried that game? Um, so it says that dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. So clearly he had the attention of the folks. The preachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and, Jesus, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, I've been on kind of both sides of this, right? I've been a judger of people, and if you don't think you're a judger of people, get into traffic on 495. <laughs> you, you, you think you're like all nice and cute, and you just say one thing like, why'd you do that? You know, why'd you, why'd you, cut, why'd you turn that way? You shouldn't have done that. You know, we're already getting a little bit of a Pharisee cloak on there, right? And, and I don't know, sometimes we go totally gaga with that. So, and that's just one teeny little what we think a harmless part of our lives, right? So Jesus is bringing this story together, and it's fun to marinate ourselves in it a little bit. Um, so they say to him, that in, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And of course, the Bible's cute. It says they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. And Jesus bends down and starts to write in this ground with his finger in sand, which I like because he gives him a little time to think about it. It never talks about what he writes or anything. But when I'm frustrated and somebody ignores me, I get mad. You know, I, I kind of kind of builds up mob mentality. So I think he's letting all this self-righteousness stir inside of the folks there that brought this woman in. And so I kind of want to put ourselves in both sides. I've been in the, the side of getting into trouble, you know, like the adulterous woman. That side is the, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'll fit in. I don't, I don't know if I have any value. And it works out in our lives by going and doing things to get attention, to get, get some kind of feeling that we have some kind of value in our lives, don't we? And then on the other side, I wear the hat of the Pharisee, and I'm just like, don't do this and don't do that, and I'm better than you because I'm afraid to be just me. And, and both sides, you know, Jesus is going to bring them. They're, they're together now, right in front of him. And what he does next is really interesting because the, the one side, the, the Pharisees, they, oh, we got him. You know, if he says don't stone her, he just broke the law of Moses and he, we're going to debunk him as a, a rabbi or a teacher. He can't do that. And on the other side, if they say stone her, he says go ahead and do that, kill her. Uh, they're not allowed to, you know, do stonings at the time. The Romans are the ones that carry out all the sentences. You'll see that with Pilate later. So if Jesus says, go ahead, that's correct, then Jesus gets in trouble with the Romans. If he says, no, don't stone her, then all of a sudden his credibility is lost. So they kept on questioning him, it says in verse 7. He straightened up and said to them, the magic sentence that blows their world all up. Let any one of you who without, is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He changed the game. And then he stooped down and wrote in the ground. I like that he kind of, I'm going to let you marinate in that a little bit, right? He's saying, unless you're without sin, you're perfect. How can you throw a stone at somebody? Now, I'm the engineer. I'm like, that's genius. He, he leveled it up. He's just created an opportunity for us to be together messy with all our goofy past 
things we struggle with. He's just saying, let me just level this out for you. And then I like the last one. <laughs> he says, at this, or the, the Bible records, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman staying there. They marinated in that, and I like the older ones. As I get older, I'm not super old, but I'm going to say I'm getting to that something stage. Um, I see more and more of my own hypocrisy, all right? You know, I, I tell somebody, don't do that, and I turn right around and I do it myself, right? I judge somebody, and then it, I do the same stinking thing, and then I've got to deal with the whole man. And more and more I see my failures as I get older, and I like the saying, I'm not young enough to know everything anymore, <laughs> you know? Because when I was in my 20s, you couldn't tell me anything. I had all the answers, and then look how that worked out. I mean, it worked out great now, but... Um, <laughs> But everybody's gone because they, they feel that there are things that, that I've done wrong to. And this woman sitting there, it's just Jesus left. And he says, he straightens up, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And the story gets is so wild that you think that's it. That's not even the beginning of the story. The story continues on because in, in the Mosaic law or the law of Moses, a death is required. Jesus, being God, cannot break the commandments whenever he willy-nilly wants to because if he did, we'd have a chaotic God. We wouldn't be able to put our solid foot down on what he says and who he is. So there's a death required in this and being the sinless one without saying a word to her, he knows I now am going to pay that penalty. And a few days later, he's going to hang on a cross for her. Without a word, he knows what he's going to do. And he knows that in time for both the Pharisee and this woman, that the time will come when they understand that together that more and more of this is going to make sense. So I thought about, man, he, he carries this. He carries this all the way through the next chapters, and you'll, you read on in John or the other Gospels. He gets to a place where that kind of same thing is tested. Is he, he's paying for this, this sin. And in Mark 15, 3, 5, I love this because you've got to put yourself in this situation in Mark, he's being tested, or Pilate's talking to him. So Pontius Pilate's the guy that the Pharisees, when they catch Jesus, bring him in there and say, we're going to crucify him. Well, what did he do wrong? You know, Pilate's testing him out. He's like, well, what did you do wrong? And he's finally, he's not really wanting anything to do with this. Uh, so in Mark 15, 3 through 5, it says, the chief priests accused him of many things. They're doing all these accusations, making stuff up. So again, Pilate asked Jesus, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? You know, they're pouring on all these things. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. You want to know why Pilate's amazed? Because if you're wrongfully accused of something, he's seen those guys be put to death. Because every once in a while, somebody who's wrongfully accused takes the fall. He knows what it's like for somebody to plead for their life when then they're going to go get crucified and ripped to pieces 
for something they didn't do. And on the other side, he's seen guilty men who have absolutely committed the crimes, who have a different attitude about themselves. Some, you know, kind of want that. Some are trying to make up stuff to get out of it. He's never seen anybody quiet because Jesus knew he's saving her life. He saves yours, mine. He's the only one that can do that. And as, as this non-believing engineer trying to not let become a Christian, I could not resist this stuff. There's no man on this planet who's ever done anything that even comes close to telling a story like that that has anything near what I'd read and been taught. So it gets even better. The after effects of this are the most important part. Let's take a look at uh, John 13, 34. He, he says, Jesus, a new command I gave you this before his crucifixion. Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's telling you, showing the model of real love and what it's supposed to look like. It's when grace is introduced into our world. It's, yeah, you made a mistake, but I'm going to love you anyway. And yeah, you can keep trying to tell me to go away and get out of your life, but I still have the choice. I'm going to love you anyway. And I think only underneath that umbrella are we allowed to have some of the greatest relationships and the greatest things in our entire life. Our treasure is there. So here's what could happen next. Now imagine this Pharisee and this adulterous woman, are they hang out in the same town. I mean, they've got to be living nearby. They pulled her in, right? So imagine Jesus goes to the cross. The Pharisee is processing through this whole thing like, that's what he did. He's going to feel a good kind of guilt and be thinking about, man, what if I run into that woman? So all of a sudden, someday at a marketplace, they run into each other. And the Pharisee gets to say something like, hey, I'm sorry. I should have been there. I, I should be stoned myself. Uh, but I was so caught up in myself. I'm really sorry for what I did to you and how I, I tried to take your life. I too should be in that same boat. And on her side, she can respond with something like, man, I was given so much forgiveness in that moment. I forgave you just in the day after. I understood what I've been given and I want to give it to other people now. And, and, the <laughs> and, and she could follow it up with something even crazier than that. She could say, hey, did you hear some people are talking about meeting they're meeting and they're continuing to follow Christ. Uh, I think they're calling it a church. You want to go? That can't happen without what Jesus did. And so here I'm hearing that on my podcast. I'm like, all right, God, I'm going to go to church. I, I, I can go there. I'm not going to mess it all up. So it's amazing that what happens in that moment when he can unite people in their wildest junk to come together. So I end up going to church, and that scary place I didn't want to go to, I opened the door and somebody says, hi, come on in. And I was like, well, that was a lot easier than I thought. <laughs> and then that led me to get into a men's ministry who men would talk about their feelings. I was like, is, am I on Mars? Is there you know, a rocket that you use? I just thought I never saw that in my life, and that would lead us to uh, getting into helping to start a recovery ministry. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm in. I need that. And through that time and doing 12 steps, I would, I would 
shed and learn about my codependency. I'd make my amends with people. I would get freedom from pornography and, and all those sexual addictions in my life. And I would find that, you know, people are messy and it's okay. And our stories, when woven together, are super powerful. And here's the best part for me. Some people ask me, well, was it worth it? Would you do it again? Absolutely. I hated my story growing up. But it's because of all the stuff that I went through in life that lets me want to be a church planter with the door open saying, come on in. Because somebody else did that for me. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to think that you all can be a church planter right in your own neighborhood, your own home, your own next door, your own workplace. Wherever you are, you're basically saying, come on in. You want to come hang out? We're going to go do this. You want to come join me in this? You want as people are so f far from God in times like me as a, as a young 20s person running around doing whatever I wanted, I didn't see that model lived out very well. So I'll say, you know, the journey continues. We're planting in northern Michigan. We're just doing something really complicated. We're just going to bring what we learned from Jesus and take it somewhere else and, and just love people. It's pretty kind of cut and dry. Um, and I don't need some kind of Ph.D. and whatever to do that. I've kind of been equipped by reading and being taught, and God's brought a lot of great people in our lives. And uh, So as Chad mentioned, I'm kind of your great-grandson. Uh, you know, I was put into a church when I said I'll go to church, the one around the corner just so happened to be new life. I mean, total random thing, right? And God would lead me in there, and they'd be a church planting church. And did you know that I didn't know I was your grandkid until last Sunday when I showed up here? And Chad said, hey, did you, did you know that we were part of it? I'm like, you're kidding me. You know, God continues to show up in the story going forward. Uh, so after all this and unpacking and kind of learning, um, God would lead me to my wife uh, a couple years ago, and we got married in April this year. So the punk me, who had no idea who was ruling the universe, he thought it was himself, was wrong, and found somebody who could lead. And so I found a wife who knows, I know she loves Jesus more than me. And now that sounds weird, but I need her to, because I'm going to fail her like the people I was trying to make complete me couldn't complete me. You know what I mean? And so when I take that pressure off her and she takes it off me, we really can get a lot closer. So uh, here we are. Uh, thanks for listening to me. We're going to do... Um, moved to Michigan this summer, and when I was talking to Chad, he, uh, he said to you guys, when you ask somebody to pray, this church prays, and that's an honor, kind of, that's a very honorable thing to hear. Um, I would, if, if I could ask, you know, you guys to keep Aaron and I in your prayers, both for our marriage, uh, we're, we're newly married, and, and anybody that, you know, I've had talks with guys, and one guy's like, don't worry, it keeps getting better, and I was like, I'm like, that was good. I'm like, I appreciate it. But when you put two people together, that first time is difficult, but we're both trying really hard. And so you see when you get married, you're, you're practicing what we just ran into in this verse day to day, every day. So God's growing us like crazy. So if you could pray for our marriage and then our time moving to Michigan and that he would help us find people at peace, people that would want to be part of something new. Um, you know, because we don't have the whole thing worked out. It's not a set in stone thing. There's a lot of unknowns. So that ends up, uh, you know, it's a, a big step for us. So anyway, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if you would bow your heads with me, I'll pray and then uh, we'll wrap up.